Hey, good morning, everyone. We are, as Mike said, we're in the series on traveling lights, things that can easily become baggage in, in our lives. And, and how do we get rid of those things that can just weigh on us and, and we wonder why we're agitated or why we're feeling the way we do or why do we fly off the handle so easily sometimes when things seem to be going well and then all of a sudden we just fly off the handle. And, and as we discovered last week, there, there's something that's going on deeper than just this person irritates me or this person's a bad driver or the people that I work with don't know what they're doing. It, there's more to it than just that. There's something deeper that's going on with our heart that God wants to deal with. And the verse that I want to look at, the verse that's kind of been our platform for this is Hebrews 12.1. And, and what the Hebrew writer says here is this. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the previous chapter in chapter 11 of all those that, that just persevered, that followed God, even though they didn't know the promise of Christ, but they had faith, they con- continue to follow God. He said, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's encouraging these Hebrew Christians not to give up, uh, even though they're undergoing persecution, to keep running the race. He says, let us throw off everything. Here's the important part. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, he didn't say, the writer didn't say that, that, that is hard to entangle easily. How many know that sin can easily make its way into our life? It's just like weeds in a garden. They just pop up. One day they're gone. Next day they're there, right? This easily can entangle us. He said, and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out before us. And so what I want to look at is some things that are in our lives that can tend to go unnoticed. And, And I think what we do is we tend to look at the big sins, like, I'm not doing that. I haven't murdered anybody lately. That's good, right? Um, uh, you know, I haven't done these big things. And we think we're okay, but it's the small things, I believe, that can easily entangle us and trip us up and, and, and cause us to cease running the race that, that Christ desires to run. So we want to we wanna unload this, this extra baggage. I was thinking about this the other day. My kids, um, you know, they got backpacks when they, when they go to school. But for some reason, my kids, they literally put their whole locker in their backpack. I'm like, what are you? Their, their backpacks literally weigh 300 pounds. I mean, they're huge. And he was like, well, I, I just don't, you know, when we go to class, I don't want to walk or, you know, it's just easier just to put all my, you know, I, I'm just seeing chiropractic bills coming up because of all this weight and all this luggage they have. And I know for some of you, you just like to, to carry a lot of stuff. I know some of you ladies, I've seen some of your purses. You like to carry, oh, how many just say, you know, I just like to have stuff with me just in case, right? Just in case. I, I like to have a lot of stuff with me just in case. Um, how many of you, um, and, and maybe some of you have carried one of these, but I remember in the 90s, this thing was really popular, and it was called the fanny pack. How many remember the fanny pack? It was this little satchel that went around your waist, right? And, and it was a little pack you could put right there, right? I, I have to admit, I never had one because my kids would probably never let me down for wearing one, right? They're convenient, these little packs that you'd wear, and you could put things in your fanny pack um, if you had one. Don't wear one anymore, okay? Please do us all a favor. No, I'm just teasing. They're, they were, they were, they were kind of cool. I remember my grandmother; she had the biggest purse I've ever seen in my whole life, and this purse was called the Ambassador. I don't know why I remember these things. 
But it was called The Ambassador. YouTube it. YouTube the commercial The Ambassador. How many remember The Ambassador purse? Anybody? None of you. You don't want to admit it. That's why. The Ambassador purse was this huge purse that you could store. Every, it had clips for your keys, your thing. It had pockets within pockets. It had all these things. And my grandmother carried this ambassador person it was huge and she always had her camera in there she had her her kodak disc camera in there so she could always take pictures and i remember asking grandma grandma do you have gum and she'd take out her purse let me look oh yeah i got gum here grandma do you have a band-aid oh yeah let me look i uh, yeah i've got a band-aid grandma do you have a screwdriver yeah i got that here here you go grandma do you have a miter compound saw hold on let me look in here um yeah i've 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 gotten there. My grandmother literally could be lost in the woods for five months and live what was in her ambassador pocketbook. And she called it the pocketbook. Let me look at my pocketbook. Grandma, do you got some? She just, and see, if, if we're wise, if we're wise, we're going to travel light. And, and here's, here's the point of, of the Hebrew writer. He's saying, listen, throw aside those things that can so easily entangle us. And last week we talked about the extra baggage of of guilt in our lives and how we deal with that. And the Hebrew writer here encourages those readers to listen, listen this is how you're going to run well. Um, what stops you from running well is, is, is those things that can so easily stop you and slow you down, lay those things down. And basically it's a picture of this. It's, it's, it's this sin that literally is being discarded Throw those things aside. And, and that's why I think we have to be careful not just to look at the big sins, but to look at the small things. There's a passage in the Song of Solomon in chapter 2, verse 15, that really captures this thought. And it says this. It says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And and. And what Solomon's saying here is saying it's the little foxes that wreak havoc on the vineyard. It's not the big things. It's the little, small, little things in our lives that go unattended that can lead to destruction. And that's what God wants us to be sensitive to. That's what he wants us to focus on. And this is an area that I think all of us, if we're not careful, this issue of anger, can, if not looked at if it goes unattended can really creep up on us and and cause us to sin and trip us up like the hebrew writer is saying and so this is something that we see all the time in our site just like mike said it's something that we see you can see people on facebook and comments that you see that people say you see from sporting events to domestic problems to parking lots to driving your car we we see this anger all the time, all around us. And, and, and anger is a level playing field. We all deal with it in some degree or another, some more than others. But in some way, we struggle with it. And if anger is not dealt with, um, it, can, it can come about in a way that can be very devastating in our lives. And some of you may be battling with this or have been an object of this in your life. And as followers of Christ, we need to be able to get a hold of this. And the Bible speaks directly to this and and how we can um, overcome this and deal with this in the right manner. And so as we discussed last week, I want us to remember that it's more than just changing our behavior. We all realize that we get angry or we lose our temper at time. And, And something that we can say to ourselves is, well, I'll just change my behavior. 
I won't do that again. But as we said last week, how many of us understand that behavior can be faked? And let's, let's be honest, we fake our behavior all the time. However, you can't fake what's going in your heart. And Jesus even said, what you say flows out of your mouth. It, it's really what's coming from your heart, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we can't ignore what's coming out from our mouth and how we display that in our behavior. We can't just pass that off. Uh, we can't make excuses because the excuses we can make is, well, that's the way I am or that's the way my family dealt with things. Um, we can easily blame it on other people. They push me to this, all the pressure at work, so on and so forth. But if we are honest with ourselves, what comes out of our mouth is really coming from our heart. There's something amiss within our heart, and we just can't change our behavior. We will try and justify it by saying, well, I didn't mean it. However, it's a reflection of what's really going on in our hearts. It's something deeper. Something is wrong. And we have to understand that we all have sinful hearts and we struggle and we need Christ to go deeper. And so we have to guard our hearts at all cost. So when we lose control, we can't lie to ourselves and say, well, all I have to do is change my behavior. There has to be something deeper. There has to be a heart change. It's not behavioral modification. It must be a complete heart change. And this is what I said last week, and I think this is so important for us to understand this. The goal of confession, when I confess something that's going on in my life that I know is wrong, the goal of confession is not to clear my conscience. Because many times when we do something wrong or, or, or we offend someone else or someone's upset with us because of our behavior, what we tend to do is we want to make this thing right. So we just say, oh, I'm sorry. And because we want to clear our conscience because we want to make that relationship right. But if, if we're not careful, we can tend to use confession just to clear my conscience. But the goal of confession is actually to cleanse and to change my heart. There has to be something deeper. I, say, I have to say, God, it's just not a behavioral thing. God, it's a heart thing. And there's something wrong. Why am I so agitated all the time? Why am I frustrated all the time? There's something deeper that's going on in my heart. And we can just say, well, if this situation could change, if this person was out of my life, if this other person would just change. And God's saying, listen, all those things can occur. But if there's a defect within our heart, if there's something wrong there, then it, how many know that someone else is going to come along that's going to be just like that person, right? Or another situation is going to come along that's going to be just like that situation that's going to bring it up again. So it's more than just behavioral modification. There's something that has to go on deeper in our heart. And the Bible speaks of two types of, of anger. One is sinful anger. Uh, that, that's basically that anger that's out of control. And one is righteous anger. And so what I want to look at first is, is what is correct kind of anger. I mean, are we should never to be upset about things or, or should things never bother us? Well, that's not what the word of God is saying. There is a thing, righteous anger. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Psalms 4, 4 says, do not sin by letting your anger, what? Control you think about it overnight and remain silent. So what the word of God is not telling us, it's not saying that we should never feel, feel anger over things when we see injustice or we see uh, someone being taken advantage of. We, 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 
we should feel upset when there's things that we see that are wrong that, that should motivate us to do something about it, to stand for the truth and, and to do that in, in love. But where anger can get out of control is when it overtakes us to allow us to do things that are out of God's plan and out of God's will. So the question is, when does this anger of sin actually turn into sin and control and dominance to lose control in an unhealthy way. Well, we know that Jesus, sometimes we get this image of Jesus that he never got upset about things. And Jesus did uh, show righteous anger in some incidences. And we know that when he was dealing with the temple and when he walked in the temple and he flipped over the tables. And what happened there is that Jesus was in the temple. He noticed that the court of the Gentiles, that they were buying and selling things where the Gentiles could come and worship. And here's basically the way it worked. When you came to worship, everyone in that area would come to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. And there were certain courts that certain people could worship in. And the Gentiles could only worship in this certain court. They couldn't go any further. Well, what was happening in this court when the Gentiles would come and want to worship God, there was all this buying and selling because you could buy your sacrifices there. And it was just commotion. And, and there was no place for them to actually worship God. And there was a, you know, just, it just became a business. And so Jesus was very upset about this. And so what, what happened is they would come, they would try to worship, and those that came far away would exchange their currency into coins to pay the temple tax and to buy their sacrifice offerings. And basically what the priests were doing is they were taking advantage of people. They were ripping them off. Worshippers were trying to do the right thing. The priests were taking advantage of the people. And they were, well, these people were trying to do the right thing by worshiping God. And so by doing this in the temple and not outside, it kept Gentiles from actually worshiping God. Jesus saw what was going on. And this wasn't an instantaneous thing. Jesus saw this going on his whole life. And so what he does is he chooses this time and it was out of righteousness that he cleansed the temple and said, this place should be a place of prayer for all nations. And so Jesus was angry and he flipped the tables and he said, this is a house of prayer for all nations. But Jesus didn't sin at this time. He showed righteous anger for the advantage, for the priest taking advantage of those that were trying to worship God. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, do not be quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges, it lodges in the heart of fools. You see, that's the key. The key is this. The key is that quick tempered where we get set off the handle. That's what the word of God is talking about here. I love that in Ecclesiastes. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry. So when does anger actually become sin? And how do I know if I actually have an anger issue or an anger problem in my, in my life? Because I think what we can do is we can hide behind the skirt of righteous anger and feel justified in why we're angry. But it's really not that. It's really we have an anger problem. And it's escalated from something that we care about to something that has gripped our hearts that have caused us to act in an ungodly manner that, that has caused us to sin before the Lord. And this is something that we have to get under control. And, 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 and I believe all of us in some way or another can, can experience this in our lives. And how do we get this thing under check? How do we check this in, in our heart? What, when does anger go from an irritation uh, to wrath, to rage, 
Um, and, and, and we all get irritated at times. Um, I thought I was the most patient person in the world till I had kids, right? You just, you, you know, you just, it, 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 it brings it out in you, right? And, and, and that patience and, you know, that frustration and, um, you know, and how many of you are, are, you get very agitated while driving? You know, I'm definitely, and I've confessed this before, before you, an, an agitated driver, an irritated driver. I wonder all the time, how do these people get licenses? How, how does it occur? How does this happen? And so, yeah, I, all of us, we go there. But, but where does it go from irritation to full-blown road rage? Where does where does where does that go? How does it how does it now it becomes an issue of of self control, and and I can't control my emotions. And this is this is this is important because it's one thing to be agitated, it's one thing to show anger, it's one thing to be upset about things. But then when it overtakes our emotions and we can't control our emotions, my emotions turn to wrath and then plotting fury and then rage. And the Bible speaks of this uncontrolled anger and the negative results of it. So here's, I, I want to first give you the negative side of, of controlling um, our anger in a right, positive way. And, 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 and what are the results when we're oblivious to this and anger controls us? And, and may, it may be stuff from a long time ago that we have not dealt with and we think we're okay and then a situation comes up and all of a sudden we're like, man, wow, where did that come from? And it's something from our past that we haven't dealt with, something that reminds us of something that happened to us a long time ago. And then we battle with it and that situation arises and then all of a sudden something happens in our life and it brings up this ugly side of us and we're like, man, where did, where did that come from? It's because we haven't dealt with it. And let me just give you a couple things here. If, if anger is not checked, and here's why the Bible speaks to it. This is why the Hebrew writer says to, to cast all this sin aside. And if anger is not checked, these things can occur. The first thing that can occur is this. We, we stop listening and we can literally become spiritually numb to the voice of God. If we're not careful in our anger, if it is not checked, we stop listening and we become spiritually numb to the voice of God. James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to Anger kind of throws that one in there, right? Once again, not, not, once again, not all anger is sinful, but, but what's the point? This quick-tempered anger that controls my heart. And it says, when, when sinful anger takes over, we do just the opposite. We stop listening and we are quick to do what? Speak, right? We want to get our point across. And what begins to happen is that conversation begins to elevate, doesn't it? And when a conversation begins to escalate, so does our voices. And our voices get louder and louder, and, right? And, we're try- and meanwhile, the other person's already going, nah, 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 I don't hear a word you're saying, right? Because it's just a shouting match. And that, go- and that gets nowhere. Nobody wins in that particular situation. What happens is, we become spiritually numb for this reason. Listen close. Here's, here's your aha moment for Sunday morning, 830 crowd. Are you ready? Here's your aha moment. 
Here's why we become spiritually numb. Here's the reason why. We can become so set on being right that we become dull to the way we are behaving. We can become so set on being right. And you know what? You may be right. But because our anger has escalated because we want to get our point across, we become dull to the way we're behaving. That you can actually be right and do it the wrong way. See, that's where we got to catch our heart. That's where we got to say, God, am I actually trying to prove a point here, but my behavior is not reflecting what I should be doing in accordance to what you have for me, God. So even when you are right, it can lead to bad and sinful behavior. And this is what it will end up doing. It will end up destroying relationships for the sake of being right. Have you ever done that? You won an argument, but you end up losing the argument because you destroyed the relationship in the middle of that argument of trying to be right. And that's what can happen if we're not careful. We can end up destroying our relationship over the sake of being right. And so when sinful anger takes over, we stop actually listening to God and saying, you know what, am I doing this in the right way, God, that's honoring to you? That that even though I'm upset and I want to make sure that my point gets across, am I doing this in a right way that's reflecting and honoring you. And so if we're not careful, if we're not careful, anger can cause us to become spiritually numb and stop us from listening to, to God's voice. Here, here's the second thing, the, the negative effects of anger if it's not brought under control. The second thing is we actually lose control of our tongue. And, and here's, here's, and we've all been there. When anger takes over, we lose control of our words. Proverbs 29, 11 says, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. And when we lose control and we make, we end up making demanding statements like you never or I'll never. And we give these ultimatums to people when we actually lose control. And then what happens is we make it personal and we attack. And Proverbs ten nineteen says, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. How many of us know that words are hard to take back? Once you throw it out there, they're hard to take back. And we all say sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me, right? Stupidest statement I've ever heard in my whole life, right? Because how many know when people say things, it hurts, right? And, 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 and I, I, I wish that were true, but the tongue does hurt. That's why the Bible says in James chapter 3, the tongue is the one thing that we can't tame. It's such a small part of the body, yet it's the most destructive. So when anger begins to take over, it begins to overtake our tongue. And when we get to that point, we know that there's a problem. When we can't control what we're saying, there's a problem. And we begin to attack and and we begin to hurt and relationships begin to be torn apart. The third thing, this is really important. The third thing, if we don't get this anger in control, is that anger will actually weaken our will. 
And, and, and what do I mean by that? Anger weakens our will. What do I mean by that? Well, James 1.21 says, So get rid of all filth, evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts, for it has, for it has the power to save your souls. See, if anger left unchecked, it will eventually lead to immorality. Proverbs 14.17 says, 17 says, A quick-tempered person does foolish things. And the one who devises evil schemes is hated. And so eventually, if, if, my, if I'm not checking this anger, if I'm, not, if I'm not careful with where this is leading to, it will eventually lead to immorality. My emotions begin to, to, to spiral out of control. And, and, and then all of a sudden, I begin to do things that I would never do. And this is if, if anger isn't checked at the very beginning and making sure that, God, I've got to make sure that this is under your, your care. Because if it's not, it can lead to, to things uh, that will lead us to destruction. So the question is, how do we keep our anger and our emotions under control? We have to understand that there's a battle going on between our flesh and our spirit, between what, what the Lord desires us to do and, and that flesh and that, that, that ungodly man that says, you know, I've got to have my way. I've got to have my will. And so there's a battle going on. And if we're going to fight this flesh correctly, there's some steps that we have to take. And, and here's, here's the first step. The first step is we must come under control of the spirit of Christ. If, if I'm going to make sure that, that my anger is, 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 is under control, that, that I want to make sure that it's done correctly, I have to come under the control of the Spirit of Christ. And, and, and I love what Galatians says here. Paul really points it out very well about the battle between our flesh and, and, and our spirit, man. He says this in Galatians five sixteen through 24. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose, these are opposed to each other, and they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Remember, anger in itself is not wrong to be angry about things, but it's these fits of anger. And Paul talks about that. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, these, and, and like these things. He goes, as I warned you, and I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here he says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is a life that's under control of the Spirit of Christ. He said, but this fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, uh, fruitfulness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and with its desires. So you see the battle that's going on here? Paul says, listen, a, a life that's controlled by the Spirit, these things are going to be evident in their life. But a life that is controlled by the flesh, these are the things that are going to be evident in your life. We have to ask ourselves, what is the fruit in my life? What are the things that are coming forth in, in my life? And if I'm struggling with these things and there's a struggle within my flesh and it's a control issue, then I need to yield myself to the Spirit of Christ and allow Him to control me. I love what Warren Worsby says about this. He says, it has to be more 
than just marking your Bibles, underlining, highlighting, memorizing. The question is this, has your Bible marked you? Has your Bible marked you? It's more than just underlining, highlighting, and memorizing. All those things are great. But the question is, has the Bible marked my life? Is there evidences in my life that are coming forth of a life that's controlled by the Spirit of Christ? And here's the third thing that, that I believe can really help us to just attack this issue of anger in our lives or, or just getting frustrated and, and, and allowing our emotions to get out of control. The second thing is, is that we must confess and forgive. You see, confession uh, means that we have a problem. And confession leads to forgiveness. Um, you know, it, it's saying, I know that there's an issue in my life. I know that there's a problem here. And, and God, I want to confess this thing to you because I know if I confess my sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. You see, staying angry doesn't hurt the other person. It always hurts you. And, and we think if, if and, and I know the reason why we get angry, because we feel like someone has come against us. Someone has hurt us. And so we use this anger towards this other person, feeling it, it's, it, it's going to be detrimental towards that person. But, but just the opposite is true. That when I hold on to that anger and that bitterness, it's detrimental to my life and to my spirit. And it becomes poison to me to keep me from running the race that Christ desires me to, to run. And so the way I overcome that is, is confession. Saying, God, I need to forgive that person. I need to lay that person before you. And I need you to forgive me for, for, these, for these things that, that are coming out of my heart and, and being sensitive to that. And, and, and allowing yourself to be accountable to someone else to say, hey, um, you, do you see something in my life that, that, that is out of kilter? And, and let me just say this. Sometimes it's going to hurt. And, 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 and sometimes I'll just go before my kids and, and just say, you know, they're older now. And I'll just say, hey, is there anything that you see in my life that's just uncharacteristic of, of a walk with Christ? And they'd be like, yeah, you, you need to give us more money, Dad. That's uncharacteristic. Just give us more money and we'll be okay. No, I, I just add, you know, and they'll say, Dad, well, sometimes you're not patient. I'm so, okay, <laughs> I'm about hurt, but that's okay. You know, and, and the, the thing with it is, is when we humble ourselves and say, God, you know, or we go to our spouse and just say, is there something uncharacteristic in my life that you see is, is not lining up? with what I'm professing in my relationship with Christ. Now, th those are hard conversations, but those are good conversations. Because listen to me, those conversations may save you. Those conversations may keep you from something that's, that you're headed into down the road that could lead to, to great destruction. And so those are good things to be accountable. And this isn't a nitpicking session about every, all the mistakes we make. That's not what I'm talking about. But if there's definitely something that's uncharacteristic, that, that just humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, this is an area of my life that is just weak, and I need your help, and I need to confess this. And, and, and maybe, it's, maybe there's something in your past, maybe someone that you've never forgiven, 
that you've held on to that bitterness and that anger and it's, it's destroying your life today. You need to forgive that person and move on. That doesn't cover their sin. That doesn't whitewash it. That doesn't let them off the hook. But it releases you to allow God to do what he needs to do in their hearts and releases you from that chain that's holding you captive to your past and keeping you from running the race. And I'm telling you, some of you, your anger from the past is this huge piece of luggage in your life that you are dragging around that's keeping you from running in freedom that God desires you to run in today. And so it's been an entanglement in your life. And it's so easy just to justify these things and not confess them to the Lord. And God says, listen, I want you to lay this thing, lay this luggage at at my feet, confess it to me, offer forgiveness, break that chain that's holding you past, that's holding you to your past so that you can run the race that I've called you to race. And, and And here's the third thing. Here's the third thing of, of how we, we just run this race and, and, and not allow anger to be a hindrance to us. Um, I love this. We need to do everything that leads to peace. And, and here's what Paul says in Romans 14, 19. He says this. He says, as followers of Jesus Christ, let us therefore make every effort possible. I mean, there's there's not going to be every perfect situation, but Paul's saying, listen, make every effort possible to do what leads to peace and mutual edification with each other. There's going to be some people you're going to try to reconcile and they're not going to want it. That's fine. But you've done everything possible in your effort to make that right, to take the high road as a follower of Jesus Christ. To, to eliminate that anger, that source of anger that's been in your heart and in your life, to try to reconcile that relationship that was broken because of something that escalated or words that escalated or anger that escalated over things. You've done everything possible in your life to, to do things that lead to mutual edification and that leads to peace. And so the, the question we need to ask, ask ourselves are, are my actions leading to reconciliation or are they actually leading to division? So as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to say to myself, what am I doing to lead this relationship in the right way that leads it to reconciliation and not, and not division? Sometimes we just need to swallow our pride. And sometimes um, waiting uh, for that other person uh, to do the right thing or that other person to make things right may never come. And so sometimes we need to swallow our pride and, and just wanting to be right and have it my way Uh, we may need to lay those things down for the sake of peace and reconciliation. And see, the reason many times for our anger, it usually boils down to pride or someone hurt me or someone uh, walked on me, they didn't respect me, they they, they took advantage of me. And sometimes those things happen to us and we've got to be willing as followers of Jesus Christ to say, you know what, for the sake of of peace and mutual edification. Lord, help me to reconcile this. And if if I had something to do with this, then Lord, guard my heart, protect my anger here from escalating. And Lord, let me do what's right and let me walk in your spirit so that I'm honoring you in this situation. We've all been there. There's um, There's a story that's in the Old Testament it's an interesting story. It's, it's, it's found in, in 1 Samuel 25. 
And it's a story of David. And David is running from Saul. Saul is still king at this time, but David's been anointed as king. And Samuel the prophet has just died. He's the one that anointed David to be the next king over Israel. And David has these men, and they're, they're, they're kind of running from Saul because Saul is jealous. Evil spirit has come over him, and he wants David dead. And what David does is in this section of 1 Samuel, he finds himself um, in, in the land of this man named Nabal. And, and Nabal is just a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man. And in fact, the, the word of God tells us that Nabal was so wealthy. And the way you, you, you counted your wealth, um, for some people, would be the amount of houses you have, you know, uh, vacation homes or the amount of cars you have. Uh, his wealth uh, back then, or people's wealth back then, was counted in the amount of sheep you would have or goats. So if you had a lot of sheep and a lot of goats... Um, this would be considered a person that was very wealthy. And, and he was so wealthy that he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So Nabal was a wealthy man, but he was a harsh man. In fact, his name literally means fool. And so Nabal had all these animals. He was very wealthy. And David's fleeing, and he was running low on supplies for his men, and he needed some food. So he sent some men over, uh, 10 men, to talk to Nabal and to say, hey, can you supply some, some food for us? And, and basically all their men were also in his, where he lived, was also protecting him. And so he's saying, listen, we've been good to you. We've kind of protected your, your land. And uh, would you mind giving us some food? And so the men went to him and Nabal looked at these men and basically said, what? Are you kidding me? Who's David? Who are you? Hit the pavement, right? So he was very rude, mean to these men. And so these men come back to David and they said, Nabal just dissed you. Nabal just talked you down. Nabal didn't even know who you are. And he says, he ain't doing anything for you. Who are you? What do you deserve? And David went into a fit of rage. David, a man after God's own heart, was mad. He was so mad that he's going to go and chop this guy's head off. This is how mad. David goes into a fit. He goes into a rage and he says, listen, we're going we're gonna to do something about this. So he says, listen, uh, David gets his men together. And he, he goes, we're going to gather 400 of our men, strap the sword to their side, and we're taking him down. Isn't that just what Jesus would want us to do, right? He's in a rage. How dare him? And what it's doing is it's, it's revealing some pride in David's life. Isn't it funny how David was okay? Hey, tell him we're protecting his land. Tell him we're doing And he's fine. And all of a sudden, somebody said no to him. And now he's going to take matters into his own hand. Uh-oh. We've all been there, right? See, now we're going to take matters in our own hand. So now he's going to take matters in our own hand. Now he's going to say, okay, instead of being nice, now I'm going to use force. That's where it gets dangerous in our life. Who do you think you're talking to? I'm David. I'm the anointed king. Who does he think he is? Right? 
All of a sudden, pride wells up, takes form of his man. Now, the good thing about Nabal is he had a smart wife. Her name was Abigail. She got wind of what was about to go down. So what Abigail does is she heads off David's army at the pass. Now, this is how smart she is. She just didn't come with words. She was so wise. She came with wise words and food. How many know the way to a man's heart is through what? Right here, right? Our tummies, right? Our stomachs. She came with food and she presented a feast and talked to David and calmed him down. And she, this is what she said to him. She said, David, listen, what you're about to do is not going to be a good thing. She began to speak words of wisdom. She humbled herself before David. She spoke wisely to him. She, she shared what a travesty this would be for David and his future. Think about what you are about to do. And what happened is David changed his mind and actually thanked God for her, of the wisdom that she brought to him. And what happened is Abigail went home and when she went home, her husband was in a drunken stupor. Nabal was just in a drunken stupor. So she waited because he was partying. So she waited till, till he sobered up. And when, when he sobered up, she told him what was about to happen. And when she told him that, Nabal had a heart attack. And then just a few days later, Nabal died. Now you can read the rest of the story and, and, and it's kind of cool how the rest of the story plays out in First Samuel chapter 25. But he just dies a few days later. Now, now here's the thing. David could have easily, could have easily wiped him out. He had the authority. He was the anointed king. Nabal disgraced him and could have easily just done it. But God grabbed his heart. Said, That's not the way I want you to do it, though. It's not the way I want you to direct your life. I don't want you to walk in the flesh here. I want, I, I want you to walk by my spirit here. You see, David showed mercy to Nabal when he didn't deserve it because David listened to the wisdom of the Lord in this situation. And here's the thing I want you to realize. In your anger, and it's okay to be angry about things, okay? It's okay to be upset about things, to see injustice. That's, you know. But in your anger, always remember this. Don't allow your anger to usurp the spirit of Christ in your life. Don't ever allow it to justify the way you act. Because there is no justification for a Christian to ever act in an, un, in an ungodly way. None. None in an ungodly way. Now, there are things that we should stand up for. There are things that we should voice our, our concerns about and truth. But it never, ever should give us justification for acting in an ungodly manner. We should never justify that. 
And here's what we have to remember. This is how we pull it back into our relationship with Christ. Jesus died for the ungodly. None of us in this place deserve God's mercy and his grace. But God demonstrates his love towards us that we were, yet since we were all sinners, Jesus still died for us. And so just remember that. Remember the grace and the mercy that was offered to you when you least deserved it. You see, David offered mercy to Nabal when he least deserved it. Ultimately, the picture here is Jesus offers grace and mercy to us when we least deserved it. That's the spirit we need to walk into. And just remember this, that grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Plain and simple. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And every single one of us definitely do not deserve God's grace. And God should judge us all. But because of his mercy and his goodness, he forgives us of our sins and of our debt. That's being gospel-centered. That's saying, God, I understand what Jesus did for me. Now let me walk in that spirit as I deal with people in the world. And listen, we all make mistakes for the point of being right. And there are times where God has said to me, Barden, you know, and I've shared this story before and I got in an argument with a guy in Lowe's and, you know, just, I was right about this little scuffle we had. Kathleen's pulling me off him, but it was okay. Um, you know, we, it didn't get louder, but it did get argumentative. And, and, and Kathleen just got in the car and she said, Barden, you were right, but you were wrong. And I'm like, but, but Kathleen, I was telling this guy, he didn't know what he was talking about, and blah, 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 and, you know, and blah. And she's just, she didn't say a word. And meanwhile, the whole way back, you know, the Holy Spirit's just <laughs> convinced, you know what I mean? And uh, she goes, you need to make it right. I said, well, what? It's over with now. It's done. I was right. He was wrong, and it's over with. And she goes, no, you were wrong. So the whole way home, I'm driving back, I'm just convicted because I know that she's right. And see, it wasn't the point of being right. It was my spirit that was wrong. And so I got home and I called the guy. And, and I said, listen, I was just in Lowe's and like three hours ago or whatever. And I said, we had a, I go, I just want to apologize for, for my bad. Just, just, I w- didn't, I was just a bad pastor. I'm sorry. I was just being, I, my attitude was bad. The guy didn't even remember it. He goes, now, who are you again? Because I had a lot of customers I served. I go, see, Kathleen, it wasn't that bad. You know, but once again, once again, I go, man, there was a guy that was a bigger jerk than I was. Yes, he forgot about me. No, see, here's the thing. Just remember this, and I try to remember this to myself. Just remember this. When you lose it with somebody, just think of this you might be sitting next to them in church the next Sunday. Just remember that. And that's what I try to remember. Lord, this very person might be sitting in the church next week that I'm speaking to about this, right? Just let God guard your heart. And just don't justify it. 
And some of you, you've got some bad anger issues. Some of you got unforgiveness issues, and it just keeps popping itself up, and we keep pushing it down, pushing it down. Listen, submit it to Christ. Humble yourself before him. We all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. We all get irritated. We all lose it. I, I get that. I get that. We're all in the same boat. But listen, listen, it's here. It's here. Christ wants it all. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you. And so let's submit that to him today. So Lord Jesus, as we just bow our hearts before you today, Lord, we confess that we fall short so many times, but we thank you that you're such a merciful God. We thank you, Lord, that, that God, you forgive, you cleanse us, and I pray, Lord, that when situations arise that, that cause us to become agitated or um, irritated or we act in an unchristlike manner, um, Lord, help us not to bury that or justify it or just say, oops, but God, help us to look at our heart and say, God, God there's something in here that, that you need to gain control, that I need to confess because, Lord, I don't want this thing to eventually be a trap that leads me to destruction. So, Lord, we just give that to you. Thank you, Jesus, for just forgiving us. Thank you, Jesus, for being patient with us. Thank you for leading us and just help us in our blind spots, Jesus. Help us in those areas we don't see and just help us with our pride, God, that we are so blinded to so many times. God, may we catch those things in the spirit of Christ. Thank you that you love us. It's not because you want to beat us up. It's because you want us to run the race without anything hindering us and to find the joy and the peace that you desire to give us. And so, Lord, just guard our hearts from those things. Thank you that you're such a good father and that you're perfect in all your ways. And so as we just close in song today, just help us to remind us of how good you are today. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name.